Thank you. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we are going to be looking again this morning at the same three verses that uh, we began looking at last Lord's Day, working our way through uh, the pastoral epistles, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, and we are at the end of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, verses 18 through 20, and uh, this is the second part of the two-part message on a focused ministry. 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. Let's hear God's word. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask again your blessing upon us as we spend this time together in this part of your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And we pray this morning for grace as we deal with a difficult passage. We pray that you would be our teacher. You would guide us to the truth. Because we know the truth is in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We pray that we might find him this morning. Find him to be near. And find him to be dear. We ask it all in his name. Amen. Well, these verses obviously bring us to a very serious and solemn subject. And that is how the church is to deal with those who are outside the boundaries that God has set in terms of faith and life. That is, who are outside the boundaries of what God has set in terms of what we are to believe and how we are to live. Let's be clear, God has set boundaries for his people. He has set parameters, parameters that are to guide us in terms of what we believe and how we live. And when we step over those parameters, when we step outside of those boundaries, God is not pleased, and it is the responsibility of the church to exhort us to get back to where we are supposed to be. In this first chapter of Timothy, as we've been working our way through it, I've been holding before you the theme of the first chapter as the the church and its message. Paul has been reminding Timothy throughout this chapter that the message of the church is what Paul calls earlier in this chapter the glorious gospel. And that Timothy's ministry as a young pastor in the church in Ephesus was to be focused on the gospel. The gospel that is the good news unto salvation to everyone who believes. You see, the truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners really is the very heart of the message of the church. It is what we are primarily to preach and to teach. And if we get away from that, then we are outside of the boundaries 
that God has set for His church. We are to always be a gospel-believing, gospel-proclaiming, gospel-focused, gospel-driven church. And so, here in chapter 1, Paul is encouraging Timothy to have a focused ministry, to make sure that his ministry was focused on the gospel. As we saw last week, that had been entrusted to him and to proclaim it with authority by the power invested in him by the church. Timothy was also, you remember, to protect the church from those who were false teachers. And there were some of those in this church in Ephesus. Already in this first chapter, Paul has instructed Timothy to instruct certain men not to teach what he called strange doctrines. Now this was serious business. We see how serious it was in our text in the way that Paul dealt with those who did not keep a focused ministry and who stepped outside the boundaries who were guilty of false teaching. And that's what he is telling Timothy here. And he's giving himself, Paul is giving himself as an example for Timothy to follow. He is already, as I said, instructed Timothy to instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And now Paul is saying, this is the way I deal I have dealt with those who did. And to be specific, what Paul did was he put them under discipline. I want us to take a close look at, uh, really we're going to look at the uh, second half of verse 19 and verse 20 this morning as we see how Paul dealt with false teachers in the church. And first, we see that Paul understood the problem. That is, he understood their problem, the false teacher's problem. And the problem of these false teachers was they rejected something. They rejected, Paul says, faith and a good conscience. That is, they were not careful for their life and they were not careful over what they taught. And Paul, you remember, just exhorted Timothy into verse 18 that he fight the good fight by keeping faith and a good conscience. And we saw last week, Paul was, or Timothy was, to hold on to the faith once given for the saints, to the truth given, the body of truth given in the Word of God. And he was also to keep a good conscience by the way that he lived. And those two things are always closely tied together, what you believe and how you live. And that's a, that really is the, the measure of a teacher that you can trust. Does he stick to the truth? And does he live what he teaches? And that was to be the pattern of Timothy's life. Hold to the faith and the good conscience. And there were, Paul tells us here, men in this church who had not done that. There were men who had rejected those things. who rejected the faith that was their teaching and rejected a good conscience. That was how they lived. And what a sad statement we find in verse 19 where basically Paul says there are some who've rejected keeping a good faith and a good conscience and as a result have suffered shipwreck 
in regard to their faith. Their doctrine and their life were in shambles. And again, those two are always connected. Bad doctrine leads to a bad life. Wandering from the truth leads to a life that is separated from its theological moorings. Teaching something other than the light allows you to walk in the darkness. That's why it's so important wherever you go to find a church that teaches the truth. I tell young couples in premarital counseling, wherever you go, wherever God takes you, you make sure that you find a church where the preacher is going to open the Bible and he's going to teach you the Word of God. Wherever God leads you, make sure that you find a church where the truth is taught because faith and life are intimately related to each other. What you believe impacts your life. There is a straight and narrow path which God expects His people to walk. There is a, a life of obedience and holiness He expects us to follow. And the only way you can know what that is is by being exposed to the truth of God's Word. And the men that Paul is talking about here in this passage had wandered from the truth rejected the faith and a good conscience and their faith suffered shipwreck Paul says because of it then second we see that Paul identifies these individuals that is he, he named names among these he says verse 20 are Hymenaeus and Alexander what a way to get your name in the Bible kind of like Euodia and Syntyche who were arguing with each other and Paul had to admonish them in the Bible. They'll forever be known as those who caused dissension in the church. Same way with these two men. Forever be known because they wandered from the faith. These two men were probably elders in the church. At least leading men in the church. Who had begun to lead the people astray. What they taught and how they lived did not measure up to what God required. Now we don't know much about these men. Don't know much about what they were teaching. We are given a little information about Hymenaeus over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning with verse 16. 2 Timothy 2, 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter where it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. We're told several things about Hymenaeus there in those verses. One is that he was engaged in what Paul calls empty and worldly chatter. He wasn't focused on the church. That's really a kind of derisive, derogatory way of describing his teaching. It's just worldly and empty chatter. Didn't lead to, to further godliness, but rather to ungodliness. Not only that, it was, it, was, it was dangerous. It infected the church. It spread. False teaching spreads. It spreads, spread, Paul says, like gangrene. 
And then after identifying the two, he has a different partner in this particular uh, situation. But he, their false teaching had something to do with a misunderstanding of the resurrection. But whatever it was, uh, it's clear that, as Paul says, it upset the faith of some of the believers there. And there is an Alexander mentioned over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 14 and 15. Whereas he's Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander, Alexander the coppersmith did, did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Most Bible commentators are, uh, are uncomfortable identifying this Alexander, specifically with the Alexander in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But if you push me this morning, uh, I would say it probably is. It certainly sounds uh, similar. Uh, so we have these two men identified who had wandered from the faith and a good conscience and who were causing difficulty in the body of Christ. And so then third, we see how Paul dealt with these two men. And it is clear again that Paul put them under what we call discipline. Now this is a difficult passage. And it just has an ominous tone to it, doesn't it? Paul says in verse 20, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Let's first look at the discipline that, that Paul imposed on them. He says, I've handed them over to Satan. This was a form of church discipline that Paul imposed upon them. And it is what we know today as excommunication. They were cut off from the fellowship of the church. They were removed from the protection provided by the church so that they, for a time, would be buffeted by Satan. Now, this whole matter of church discipline makes people pretty nervous. So, I want us to look at what the Bible says about that this morning. It's clear in the New Testament that Paul believed discipline in the church was important. He was very concerned about the purity or the holiness of the church. And, and to be honest, we have just lost our sense of that in the evangelical church today. You know, we say the church is for sinners, and it certainly is. But the church is about bringing sinners to the place of repentance. Certainly as a church, we want to reach out to sinners, but we must not fall into the trap of indicating that their sin is okay or that their sinful lifestyle is acceptable. You see, the purpose of the gospel is to make people uncomfortable in their sin, not to make them comfortable in it. And so the church must not put their stamp of approval on someone's sin as they reach out to that sinful person with the good news of the gospel to bring them to repentance and faith. And you see, that in itself is a form of church discipline. Sometimes the discipline of your children is redirection, isn't it? Redirecting them from what is not right to what is right. Telling them what they're doing is wrong and pointing them in the direction of what is correct. Preaching is a form of discipline. This is a basic form of church discipline. We are corrected by the truth of the Word of God. One of our 
members regularly tells me, I want you stepping on my toes when you preach. What's he telling me? He's telling me he knows that there is a corrective aspect to the preaching of the gospel. You know, it hurts when someone steps on your toe, doesn't it? Well, sometimes it hurts when the gospel stomps on your attitude or your motives or your thoughts or your words or your actions. And so this in itself is a form of church discipline. Preaching is not designed to entertain. It is designed, however, to teach, to reprove, to correct, and to train in righteousness. But there are situations that require what we call formal discipline. When the church is to deal with a sinner who does not repent, when they do not heed the admonitions of the Word of God, when they do not respond to the reproof given by the truth. It is to proceed in those cases uh, to exercise discipline over the erring brother or sister. Now the classic passage on that is found in Matthew chapter 18. If you go there with me to your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, where we find Jesus himself instructing the church to engage in discipline. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, where Jesus said this, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, listen, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. It's obvious that's where Paul was with these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander. This step of treating them as a Gentile or as a tax collector, handing them over, to use Paul's words in 1 Timothy 1.20, handing them over to Satan. I'm sure Paul had gone through all the other previous steps of confronting in private, taking other witnesses, bringing them to the church. But because they refused to repent, he took this most drastic step of cutting them off from the fellowship of the church. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a passage most preachers avoid preaching on at all cost. 1 Timothy chapter 5. For we find another case of church discipline. And there Paul is rebuking the church in Corinth because they didn't take corrective steps, didn't put an erring, sinning, unrepentant member under discipline. Verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles if someone has his father's wife 
Good, this is a case of adultery and incest. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. That's what they should have done. They didn't do it. And so Paul gives his verdict beginning with verse 3. For I on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul had come to the same place in this church in Corinth with this unrepentant member as Paul had come to Hymenaeus and Alexander. The terminology is the same. Handing them over to Satan. That is the biblical pattern. Unrepentant sinners who refuse to turn from their sin are to be cut off from the fellowship of the church. You see, there is a wonderful sense of protection provided by the church. I hope you appreciate that. The church provides you sound teaching. It provides you wise counsel from a multitude of elders and church members. It provides you fellowship with other believers. It provides you encouragement. It provides you direction. There's a wonderful sense of protection being a part of the body of Christ because we come to each other's aid, we assist each other, we help each other, we encourage each other. And what Paul is doing here with Hymenaeus and Alexander, what the churches do with unrepentant sinners is to cut them off basically from fellowship so that they might be, as Paul says, buffeted by Satan. I'm handing them over to Satan for a time. But do not forget the purpose. It is always remedial and not punitive. The purpose of church discipline is not designed just to punish, but it is to bring a person to repentance. It is what we call tough love. We don't exercise discipline on an erring member because we don't love them, but because we do love them. We don't exercise discipline because we don't want them to be part of the church, but because we do want them to be part of the church, repentant, seeking the Lord and His grace and His mercy. What did Paul say here? He says, I have handed them over to Satan so they will learn something, so they will learn not to blaspheme. They'll learn to to hold to the faith and a good conscience. What did he say about the person in Corinth, he said, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved. It's remedial. It's corrective. It's not punitive. And that's so hard to see, isn't it? So hard to see. And yet, it is God's design. Well, how do we do church? That's the question we're trying to ask all the way through these pastoral epistles. What do we learn here in 
these letters that Paul wrote to this young pastor. We learned about how we do church. Well, we do it by, by primarily keeping the glory of Christ as our main goal. You see, folks, the church really is not all about us. The, the, the church is about Christ. You know, Carrie was teaching from Ephesians 5 this morning. Christ is the head of the church. He is over it. He is Lord of it. He is king of it. And everything that we do in this church is, is to glorify and to honor Him. Now, we all fail miserably in that, don't we? I know I do. I fall far short so many times of, of giving Him the glory and Him the praise and the honor that He is due. But that's what we're to be about as a church. And when the church is sullied by sin, it sullies the glory of Christ. And so to allow a known sinner, someone who persistently continues in public sin to remain in the fellowship of the church is to dishonor Christ. Our ultimate goal is to honor and glorify Him. Now that's, that's just hard. It is difficult. And yet God has put it in place for His church to protect three things. To protect her purity to protect the glory of Christ and protect that sinner and to bring that person back to faith. May God help us here at North Point to be a church that is focused upon the glory of Christ above all else. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And some parts of it are difficult for us. And yet we pray, O oh God, that you give us grace to embrace, to believe, to trust, and to obey what your word tells us. We ask it all for the sake of Christ. Amen.